All right, guys, welcome to another episode on the podcast. Got myself, Brian Gold, my co-host, Squints, and my good friend, McCon. How's it going, guys? Welcome, brother. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you for being here, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for dressing so pretty. Uh, you know, I try. You look appropriate, which we normally don't, <laughs> yeah. which is good. Cool. This yeah. is how Sean should have dressed the other day. Sean looked great, though. He, he was in his, like, full-on legal mode, so yeah. it worked well, you know? Who's Sean? Friend of his. He's a lawyer. Oh. He's, P- like, a, a P- P- PI attorney, and nice. it was, like, he came full-suited up like he was going to court, so it was... It was cool though. It fit like his little spiel and everything. It. it was dope. Yeah. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I've I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. All aspects of real estate. Just this is something I've been passionate about. And I started I knew I wanted to get into real estate when I was fourteen. I'm forty three now. That's so pretty, 14, pretty young. Yeah. yeah. I knew this was it. I loved it. And at the time I was lucky enough to have an aunt who was in the real estate business. So when I got my license and I was first able to drive, I would always drive to her office and I would just sit there and be a fly on the wall and just watch and watch and watch. And then when I was 19, I ended up buying my first property and just fell in love with it. Made every single mistake in the book. I sued the buyer because he tried to back out of the deal after a while because the values had gone up. This is in the late 90s. The value of the property had gone up, so I sued him to force him to buy the property. And I'm 19 years old, figuring all this shit out. So force him to to buy. I fixed up the place for my by myself because I wanted to learn everything about it. So I like stripped the whole house down, just went to Home Depot, bought a bunch of stuff, and started fixing it. And in the 90s, there was no YouTube. You had to kind of figure things out on your own. You couldn't go online or research anything. So, and I wanted to learn everything about it. So fixed it up. As soon as it was ready, I was super excited. I'm like, perfect, my first investment property. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to rent it out. And then Friday night, I tell all my friends, hey, you guys got to come check out this house I just remodeled. This is incredible. Like, come, come, come. We, we drive up to the house, and I'm like, that looks weird. Why is there a tree in my house? A dead tree had fallen on my house. No. And like destroyed it. So then I have to sue the insurance company and then fix up the place, fix it up, rent it out. And then I sold the property for a bunch of money. And then this, the buyer ended up suing me for selling the property for too high. So like this one little transaction taught me so much. Like my first <laughs> deal. To the game. It was like, welcome. It was like three lawsuits. It was like, welcome, welcome to business. This is like how it is. And then, so then I was like, man, I really need to learn this business. There's lending to this, there's escrow, there's title, there's secondary market, there's the real estate side of it, there's the legal side of it, there's the contractor side of it, there's the appraiser side of it, there's the lending side of it, there's the broker side of it, there's an actual buyer side of it and an investor side of this. So I had to like figure out and master everything because I was just a very inquisitive person. I always wanted to learn, 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 learn. And so I went into lending to learn lending. And then I was like, wow, that's a nice rabbit hole. Went all the way down to like mortgage-backed securities and how the whole lending aspect of it worked. Then when I learned all that, and I was like, let me open up a brokerage and get some loan officers, some realtors, and open up a company and just kind of learn a little bit more because this is kind of the natural progression. I think I was 24 at the time when I did this. And at the time, I was buying, fixing, flipping properties as well because it was just so much fun doing it. And this is again before social media, so it was really difficult to figure things out. Information was very difficult. It was all trial and, trial and error and make a lot of mistakes to learn. So A lot less competition in, the, in that well, realm? You could say that because uh, I, I'm kind of lucky where I was born in at the end of Gen X and at the beginning of Millennials. So I was like the oldest millennial. 
So I'm competing with the boomers that didn't know the internet, didn't know how to research things online, and I did. And all the millennials that are my competitors now were too young to really compete with me. So I was at this like small little window of like being smarter than my competition because I just adapted technology and older than my competitors because they're just too young to compete with me. So it was a nice little, um, and also you got to hustle too. It's not just like you can have all the information in the world, but if you're not really doing anything with it, it's just not going to go anywhere. So at the time it was just like no figuring out knowledge and in real estate in general, back before the internet really got popular, it was an old boys club or the, the good old boys club where no one really shared any information with you. Anyone you asked, it was just like, oh, we're, we're not sharing any information. We're not sharing any information. And now our generation, it's like everyone shares as oh. much information so with all, everyone else. All yeah. over social media, yeah. wherever you look for it, you'll find yeah. it. Yeah, and like one of the, my, my favorite things to do is to just spread knowledge because it was so difficult for me to get it when I was younger. And it was just like, make every single mistake in the book to learn. And when you're a kid, you make stupid mistakes all the time yeah. and that's how you learn. And as we, you know, got older and we have so much technology with so much information around us, we can just learn from other people's mistakes and kind of grow. And then the 2008-2009 um, mortgage meltdown crash happened and that was kind of one of the best things because then I found, I stumbled onto a whole different type of an industry which was short sales. And at the time when the market crashed, everyone was like, oh my God, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I had to close everything down basically. Yeah, and then courage gone. Everything's, everything's, gone. everything's wiped out. Just everything's gone and then you're like okay how do i figure out what's next and then i got lucky enough that i've always been very close to the next thing and just figuring out kind of like the evolution of real estate because i study it so much and i love it so much and it's a passion yeah. so it's a hobby it's a lot i mean i don't mind doing it seven days a week and all the time and just constantly read about it and go to like trade shows talk to people and just kind of like geek out on it so when 0708 happened i ran into some a lovely couple out of florida that rented, were, were planning on renting a property of mine for a pretty high number. And I was like, you know, the market's gone to, to the shitter. How are you guys able to afford this high of a rent? And they're like, well, we do short sales. I'm like, I'm sorry, what the hell is a short sale? I've done everything in real estate. I don't know what a short sale is. I didn't either. So I was like, I had a mortgage company. I did mortgage backed securities. I did lending. I did real estate. I did fix and flips. I did escrow's title, everything. And I'm like, what in the hell is a short sale? They're like, well, a short sale is, let's say a borrower buys a property for a million dollars and they borrow and the value goes up to two million and they borrow $1.5 million in loans and the market tanks and the value drops to 500,000 or 800,000. Well, they owe 1.5. You can't sell the property. All you can do is throw the keys at the bank and say, hey, I owe you guys 1.5. My house is worth 500,000. I'm walking away. Well, a short sale is where you go and negotiate with the bank and say, listen, you guys can foreclose this property in a year or I can negotiate and bring this, you guys write off the balance of 1.5 to 500,000. Like you guys take a million dollar hit, we sell the property today so you guys can get some money back instead of going through the normal foreclosure process which costs you more money, more time, and it's more expensive. The benefit for the bank is they get their money right away, be it that it's a loss, and then the homeowner just gets to walk away instead of getting a foreclosure on their record. It just settled for less than owed. Similar situation is, let's say you buy a car for 100 grand, you get a $100,000 loan, and you drive it off the lot and it's worth 80, and you lose your job, and you can't afford the payments. Well, the bank wants the payments, but they know the car's worth 80,000 and you don't have gap insurance, for example. 
So basically, you can negotiate with the bank and say, "Hey, I'll sell the car right now for eighty, and you'll get eighty thousand if you just take me off the hook, so I don't get a uh, for, not a foreclosure, default a default." Like default. Yeah. Well, you still get a default; I'll still ding your credit, yeah. but I won't get a uh, judgment or repossession on my on my record. So, from two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen, the market was in a whirlwind, world you know tailspin, and it was just kind of crumbling. So values were declining because the rental market, not even just the rental market, it was tenants weren't able to pay rent, people weren't able to afford any um, afford basic necessities, let alone their mortgage payments. So no one's making their mortgage payments, no one's making their credit card payments. Everyone was in default. The banks weren't lending, and cash was king at that point. So any investors that had money, they were basically buying any of these short sales because you have all this over leveraged properties that a lot of realtors, brokers, and everyone were short selling, bringing them down to market value, and then you can buy these properties. And usually when the market turns, you're able to find great assets, assets that people normally won't sell. You know what I mean? Like the properties on Rodeo Drive that never ever sell unless there's like a big change in the market where something's disrupting the market and then you can buy those good look good assets neighborhoods that are not primary neighborhoods you, you just get better properties you get discounted properties and there's value add opportunities so that was the whole short sell business and i was like completely had to re you know transform my business and change and get into the short sell business some of the best years i mean i learned a lot you know when you fall down when you're up here and you fall down here you really learn a lot and like yeah. become humble and then 2014 came around and I was like, you know, I've done everything in real estate. Let me figure out what haven't I done? I'm like commercial real estate. Let me see what commercial is like, because commercial is apartments, retail, industrial properties, shopping centers, all the cool stuff to me. So I applied at a firm and I mean, I kept on applying, kept on applying and I didn't I wouldn't keep getting interviews. I'm like, I don't understand. I've done billions of deals in sales. I've got all this experience. How come these guys aren't hiring me? This is just, this is crazy. So I went on LinkedIn. I reached out to their corporate recruiter. I called their manager. I like bombarded them. I'm like, you guys have to hire me. I applied to like three of their locations. They're a commercial real estate firm. Uh, one of the best commercial real estate firms. I always compare them to like really one of the best firms out there in commercial real estate. So I applied to three of their locations, and I, when I went to the corporate recruiter, I finally got called back from the three. And I interviewed with all three, and I was like, I have to work at your company. I love this company. They're like, why? Like, this is crazy. Like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. I love this company. I want to work for this company. I think this company is great, and I want to be affiliated with this company. So I interviewed with them. And the three of them offered me positions. I was like, okay, I'll work in the location that's closest to my house. So I worked there for a few years and just learned commercial real estate from the inside out, from the brokers, commercial real estate guys. And I was like, this is great. I really like this. It's very sophisticated. It's um, challenging. And you can kind of see how cities and neighborhoods and, and uh, areas transform through commercial real estate because you can kind of see two years down the road yeah. what's going to happen to a neighborhood, what's going to happen to areas, and you can invest better. And that so definitely in residential based off of knowing that there's commercial yeah and 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 uh, you know things going on in that area exactly yeah so you get ahead of the curve you get, yeah you, de you definitely get ahead of the curve it's there's no emotions involved it's just strictly numbers and sense financials if it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense so it's yeah you can quantify 
each deal there's no personal uh, like residential areas where this is somebody's home or you know sometimes the loss is it's very uh tough on families and things of that nature yeah yeah so commercial just something i really enjoyed and then throughout this time i was you know wanted to kind of expand more and learn development ground up construction ground up development and just kind of become a master of the game just learn your business as best as you can and just be just always be learning. Sounds like you've, you've done it all. And that, like you said, you geek out on it. So that's, yeah. I find that no matter who we interview in all walks of life and business is that that, that personality type is the one that tends to excel at things is the person that is just really enjoys whatever it is they're doing, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and starting at 14, knowing you want to be in real estate, which is fucking far from most 14 year olds minds of what what they're interested in i think you know i probably still wanted to be a a skateboarder or you know you were already acting by then yeah but like you know you have like other aspirations that you want to do other stuff none of it had to do with like actual things that i would end up doing later well it's not like i was 14 and i'm like gee i want to hold open houses and i want to go and like sell real estate no but it was more of like i like that high-rise building how do i own one of those that's the coolest thing in the world you know you're driving by property and like i want to own that like who owns that that's amazing because most 14 year olds don't think about ownership at all let alone uh owning you know commercial properties which is you know the upper echelon in in all business yeah that's awesome um, are you still just focused mainly on commercial at this point or you do everything? Most of it is commercial real estate uh, is more challenging to me. So I really do enjoy commercial real estate. I do a lot of development, ground up construction yeah. and kind of just where the market opportunity leads to a lot of times in real estate, some doors will close, some other doors will open. Some other doors are kind of like. Maybe, you know, they open up, but you're like, man, it's it's not going to work out good in two, three years. So you always have to kind of read and research. And there's so much to learn, even like today. I'm like, I still don't know a lot. You know what I mean? There's still so much more you can learn. And every day I'm learning new things. Like someone comes to me and says, hey, have you thought about this? And I'm like, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I'll give you guys an example. Banks, a lot of regional banks are closing branches. Yeah. And these are retail properties. So like a single tenant, meaning a standalone retail branch in a really good location. Yeah. It goes dark because they don't want that location to want to go online. Those are good repurpose. You can repurpose those to good fast food restaurants because some of them have drive throughs and yeah. like you can bring in a different tenant and sign up. A lot of them. There's yeah. a lot of dispensaries actually that are repurposed banks. Are, are they? Um, yeah, there's a cookie store in Hayward that's like an old bank branch yeah. right downtown. That's an amazing location. It's an old bank and it was a beautiful aesthetically and they still use the vault for their storage. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. It's a total cool repurpose. I've seen like a lot of things uh, on Instagram as well. There's like all these repurposed buildings all over the country and I yeah. follow this one, uh, this one account and it's like this used to be a, a bank, this used to be this, and this used to be a school, and now it's repurposed as like community living yeah. or something else. Like old Walmarts or yeah. Kmarts. If a Kmart shut down, they convert those into uh, self-storage. Mm-hmm. They take the entire floor plate and they fill it up with uh, self-storage. And you know you can make a, a lot of money. A great location. Yeah, you can make a lot of money. You can make money in any business. What do you do at the parking lot? The parking lot is just, you can figure out like out parcels and put like a yeah. fast food restaurant in the out parcels. So okay. depending on the traffic counts, you convert the the main uh, building into self-storage. And then in the front, you can put like a McDonald's, Starbucks drive through Taco Bell. Yeah. Is storage that big of a demand these days? Huge. Everything's a big demand. 
Um, I think more so moving forward in Southern California, self-storage, well, self-storage has been hot for a very, very, very Good long business, time. Right? Great business. Yeah. I, I don't invest in self-storage and I haven't. I do follow some accounts on social media on mm -hmm. self-storage, but just if you kind of like use common sense in real estate and just say, well, a lot of people are building guest houses in their homes. They're converting their garages into ADUs, which is a guest house. Well, if you convert your garage, you're gonna need some place to store all your stuff. And so as more and more people build and convert their garages into homes, they're going to need storage somewhere to put the stuff that was in there. We have a consumption exactly. problem. It's obvious that yeah. we all have more stuff than we need. And we, regardless of how we feel about it, we continue to buy frivolously accumulate. Yeah. and accumulate yeah. things that we don't want. You yeah. know? And real estate to me was always freedom. I always knew that with real estate, you can really achieve freedom if you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. In commercial real estate, I mean, a lot of people on social media are talking, oh, get into real estate, you're gonna make millions, you're gonna make millions. I'll tell you in the brokerage arena, commercial real estate has an 80% attrition rate. So only 20% really stay within five years. If you do make it through the five years, you will be a millionaire. But you gotta make it through. It's horrible. It's very, very difficult if you don't like it. If you're not passionate about it, if you don't enjoy it, it just it's a miserable 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 lifestyle you know what i mean if you love it it's the greatest thing on earth you a know lot what of i mean tug and pulling huh it's a lot of no's a lot of rejection a lot of research you work for a year for free you're working long hours uh you have to have a lot of um discipline yeah. a lot of discipline to go through with it it's like a bodybuilder you know not a lot of people can be bodybuilders because they're like it's just you got to diet you got to exercise you got to do cardio you, you want immediate results and, and yeah it's not an immediate thing yeah yeah it's doing the same thing over and over repetitively until you get to an end result that is seems like it never comes well it gets to a point where you just don't care about the results anymore you just keep doing it yeah and like you're like oh wow i bought a property oh wow i made a couple hundred thousand dollars commission on this oh wow you know and then it's like, okay, it was, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I love the people I'm with. I love like making new friends in the same industry and we're all winning together and we're all growing together. It's great. And then it just becomes fun. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, you're like, this is now fun. Like, let's figure out how we can do this project. Oh, and it'll make money. It has to make money because the bank's not going to lend you anything. Yeah. So if the project's <laughs> losing, you're not going to make money and the project's not going to go off the ground. But on that subject, what yeah. about all the commercial office space these days? So commercial office, I mean, I think the, some of them are going to get converted to housing because, really? yeah, I mean, because, I mean, you have the structure there, you have the location, all you got to do is run, run plumbing in there, certain locations, certain locations you can't, but office is just getting decimated with the work, work from home. And all, right now, a lot of, a lot of office owners are, the values are dropping because the, you know, commercial real estate's valuations based on the rental income the income is determining what the property is worth and if your rental income drops the value drops and when your loan comes due you have to either put in money to refinance or you got to sell the asset and i think it's still too early to figure out a way to convert these assets into residential but i think that's really the only play there uh i mean we have a lack of residential we without oh, these yeah. are already built structures yeah they yeah. can be converted. It just takes somebody to come in and do it. Yeah, it's very expensive. It has to pencil out. The numbers have to make sense. But um, but there is some prime locations there are some, where yeah. other amenities can be added in. I, I yeah. get the, the vision behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you only focus on California or do you do other states as well? So when I was 17, I drove to Marietta 
from which is like two hours away from where I live. Yep. And I this is before I guess online um, like any list MLS online like you couldn't find anything online. I was reading the Recycler, which is like a paper magazine you got yep. at like Seven Eleven, and I was like, "Ooh, eight unit apartment building in Murrieta." I'm like, "Where's Murrieta?" And I'm like looking at this Thomas Guide map. I'm like, "Okay, I got to take this freeway, this, this, this." So I'm like 17, 18 years old. No, I, maybe I was older. Like I was young. I drive to Murrieta. I like knock on this door. This old man comes out. He's like looking around. He goes, "I'm like, I'm here to buy your eight unit apartment building." He goes. Who the hell are you? I'm like, I'm just, you know, I love real estate. I want to own units. I want to grow some apartment buildings and I want to buy your property. And he goes, son, you got a lot to learn. Don't buy anything. I'm not going to sell you this apartment building, but I'll give you this piece of advice. Don't buy anything more than an hour's drive from your home. I was like, why? What difference does it make? He goes, well, when it comes to maintenance, when it comes to the day to day of owning a property you always want to be within an hour's driving distance away from your property so that in the event anything goes wrong any kind of an emergency any kind of like a water leak water you can be there you can always be there i'll give you guys some personal examples and some client examples that i've seen so if you want to buy again this is just my humble opinion yeah i'm sure like people everyone has got a different opinion sounds pretty sound advice that the guy gave you though yeah but what what has worked for me is my own personal investments i've kept within one hour driving distance uh, there's been times where my property management calls me and says, hey, the gate at your building is not working. And I'm like, okay, I'm 10 minutes away. I'll swing by. And she orders a gate guy. I happen to arrive at the same time that the gate repairman was there. I'm not saying all repairmen are like this, but this is what happened. I get there at the same time. The guy looks at the gate that's not working. He pushes a button and resets the gate. I go up to the tech. I'm like, what happened? He goes, oh, I just needed a reset. I just hit a reset. I was like, okay, cool. I don't think anything of it. I'm like, oh, great, problem solved, I'm happy. My property manager uh, calls and says, hey, we got a bill for $800, they had to replace some components in your motor, in the gate motor. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was there. They just hit a button and they reset it. It was like, it should have been more, no more than a 100, 150 bucks service call. Even 200 on the high. Yeah, she goes, really? I'm like, yeah, I was there. I saw the technician just push a button. So she calls the company and says, oh, they made a mistake. It was a billing error. There was a different property. It's, it's really 150 bucks. I was like, okay, well, if you're not there, these They're things can happen. Yeah. yeah, another time, uh, a building I built from the ground up, uh, AC goes out. I'm like, send the technician out. They send a technician out. They're like, oh, it's going to cost $2,500. They got to replace your compressor. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? I built this. I know how old it is. I'm like, no, I got to call it. So we call a different technician. Different technician goes out, says your Freon was low. It's a $150 service call. So if you're not near your assets, and a lot of these things happen. Now, with that said, would I buy anything out of state? Absolutely. I w- my kind of rule and a lot of the other investors that I've seen is 200 units or more. So if you have 200 units or more, you can afford to buy something out of state. Why? Because you, have on- you can afford on-site management. You can afford off-site management. So you have hands-on management on the ground. You have boots on the ground. They're you know, touching and feeling your assets so they know or your assets, <laughs> they, uh, they can see if anything's wrong, they're there. And then you have your offsite management that visits them once a month to make sure all the checks and balances make sense. Uh, I've looked at some, I've had clients where I've looked at their books and when records. When you say 200 units or more, you mean that property size is 200 units yeah. or less? Yeah, so if it's generating a million dollars a year in income, yeah. you can afford $100,000 in onsite management and offsite of management course. to oversee it for you. Yeah. Then you don't have to worry about it. Um, again, it's different 
class, uh, not class, but different uh, investments. You know, there's mom and pops, there's medium, there's PE, there's different groups. But if I personally wanted to invest outside of my one hour window of where I live, it would be a larger asset where I can hire. It would generate enough income so you can afford it. You don't have to show up. Well, I don't have to show up. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, there's been assets that I've looked at that people have self-managed like 100 units or 80 units. And I'm looking at the the, uh, books and records for them. And I'm looking at the client's books and records and I'm seeing the vacancy go up and their expenses go up, water bill, utilities and everything. And I'm going, hey, how come your vacancies are high, but your utilities are going up? You got to just check in on your property manager because maybe they are just pocketing the money. And that does happen. So a lot of times if you have something out of state, your property manager over there will be like, oh, the, the units are vacant. We're, we're looking for tenants, but they're pocketing the rent. When and people are actually still living. And people are there because the utility is there. And if, you're, if it's like a four-hour plane ride, I'm not saying everybody does this. It's just I'm always like looking at worst-case scenario. Yeah, just checks and balances. Happen, Ch- checks and balances. So I, I personally like to keep things within a one-hour driving distance. Smaller assets for myself. If it's larger assets... 200 unit plus. So you stuck to, then it's okay. to what somebody told you just knocking on his door. You, yeah. You did use that rule of thumb, so yeah. to speak. So he for gave you personal. sound advice for personal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and it made sense. Yeah. No, no. Now, would I invest out of state? Absolutely. It just depends on the type of asset if we're getting in, yeah. buying it, and getting out. But yes, with all these caveats. As much as catches. Yeah. Where do you see commercial strip malls going? Commercial strip malls. You talking about like shopping centers? Yeah, but like you know, five, six small little Seven Eleven, some smoke shops, some other bullshit. Um, again, I don't. If anything, if it's like hair salons, you need to. The internet's not going to do anything to a hair salon. A restaurant, not internet's not going to do anything to that. Seven Eleven, you need these things are going to be fine. They're, they're internet proof. You know, what I mean? if anything, internet's going to help them more. Yeah. You know, like. It's actually fuels business. Yeah, right? it fuels the business. So I think those are all great. I like personally as, uh, as investments. I like sh- uh, strip retail centers a lot. There's Shopping a lot. malls are being repurposed, though. Sure. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Like the one that we have near us, uh, near where you guys all live, is just repurposed. It's going to be the Rams uh, headquarters. Now. Yeah, that one's going to be the Rams headquarters, and then the other one. Yeah, yeah, they're moving the whole office, the whole front office, and their practice studio, and their practice. They were in, they were in. Uh, I yeah. Thousand Oaks and Tio, yeah, off off West Virginia's over there. But now they're that's going to be their whole new practice facility. That's why he bought it. That's why Cronky bought that that old uh, yeah. Fashion Square, right? Is that what it was? Or Tabanga uh, Westfield? Westfield. Westfield. Um, was Tepanga. that? It was something else, right? It was the Promenade, right? Promenade Mall. Promenade yeah, Mall. Promenade yeah. Mall. That's where Supercar Sunday used to be. Yeah, close to right it. next to to PF Chang's on that side where the movie theater is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting yeah. buy. We were wondering what he was going to do with that. We thought maybe more outdoor. He bought the office building also. So he did. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. So they're going to move the full front office and everything there. Yeah. Which would be cool once it's done. I mean, it's going to add value to the area. The yeah. area is very... It's, it's amazing because uh, obviously you grew up in the valley as well. So you yeah. see that that used to be the dead mall. Yeah. Like... Sherman Oaks, the Galleria, and Fashion Square used to be the nice malls. Yeah. Northridge was like in between and the now... Galleria is kind of dying. Oh, no, they're gone. Yeah. It's like completely gone basically now. And it's the opposite. Everybody moved west to West Hills and Woodland Hills. And yeah. It's a very interesting shuffle around L.A. the way they go, you know? Yeah. You, the, the way you can follow that is you just see the zoning. Go to, you can go to the city and just see kind of what zoning changes they've made. 
in Woodland Hills Warner Center specifically, they did a 2035 plan. They called it the Warner 2035 plan to just really upzone the area to allow more density, more commercial. And then the money always follows. So you always can go to the city and see kind of what the politicians are putting in, in place, what new zonings and what new rules and what, what the actual city wants. And then based on that, you can kind of figure out, hey, this might be a great area to buy you know, this commercial property or yes. that commercial property and just kind of sit on it. If you're a passive investor, it's always good to kind of see where the city, what the city wants and what direction they're going. Yeah, what are the invest. timelines on things like that? Like, uh... Is that a, a long-term thing? Is it like five, ten years? Like, so where you do rule. you? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> another rule. Uh, it's not really a rule, but it's just a kind of saying in commercial real estate that a really dumb investment and a great investment is a matter of ten years. Yeah. Close your eyes, throw a dart, and within ten years, You're even if you sick. overpaid, it's a great investment. So as long as you can hold on to it, and uh, you, but usually the ten-year mark is like, yeah, you'll be fine. If you, you know, if you're looking up, you can't really time the market. It's just time in the market. Yeah. So 10 year window is kind of like my, my, again, my personal rules stay within the one hour drive distance from where you're at. And then if you plan on keeping it for 10 years, it'll be, it'll be a fine. Uh, you'll be fine. As long as you can keep it for 10. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you don't want to buy something and be underwater and like just bleed every single month. <laughs> yeah. How does somebody with, um, without deep pockets or proper financing get into the game so to speak or start their path in real estate what would you let's suggest? assume they're passionate yeah. like they're passionate about real estate and they want to just get into this business first thing i would do is try to learn all aspects of it because you can make what you want to do is not information in real estate is the most valuable thing in real estate you're not in the property business, you're not in the development business, you're in the information business. The more information you have and the quicker you get your information, the more successful you're gonna be in real estate, just bar none. Uh, if you don't have money, again, with YouTube, you can figure anything out, you yeah. know what I mean? How do I raise money? You go on YouTube and you can figure out a million ways. How do I syndicate deals? YouTube will show you. But generally speaking, um, I've, I've run this few, I always run scenarios. I'm like, right now in today's market, how can I make money? And so I ran a scenario with this area and in our Los Angeles market. If I wanted to make $5,000 a month, what could I actually do today? Or 50,000 a month? You guys wanna know the, like kinda how to, yeah, what, yeah. I, what I did? All right, so basically what I did is, I look at the area that I grew up in that I know the market very well. So. Let's pick Los Angeles, for example, any market in Los Angeles. I looked for homes available in the area for 500 to 600,000. Right now, because interest rates shot up, there are some homes available. So this morning I went on an online MLS portal, like any one of the online available uh, search engines that give you access to the MLS. There's tons. So I searched for a bunch of homes and I found a few homes for 500,000. Basically what I would do is buy a single family residence right now for 500,000, and it depends on how much money you have. If you have a lot of money, you can write a check for it. If you don't, you can finance it, uh, or you can just do your owner occupied with FHA and put minimal money down. But basically what I've discovered that'll work right now in today's market is you buy a $500,000 house, you build a ADU, 1200 square feet, three bedroom, two bath, and then you build with SB9, which is a, um, I think it passed two years ago, it allows to build a duplex on your property as well. So you buy a main house, you build a 
three bedroom, two bath in the garage guest house. And then you build another three bedroom, two bath duplex. So now you have three units on that property. And I'm just giving you guys like top high level kind of things. So let's say you buy the house for 500,000. You spend 250 to build a three bedroom, two bath, 1200 square foot, because that's the maximum you can build 1200 square feet, three bedroom, two bath, and then you build another three bedroom, two bath. So this costs a half a million dollars to build and $500,000 for your purchase. So you're in the deal about a million dollars, okay? It's worth about 1.5 when you finish building it. And I'll, and you can remodel the front house, build the back house, and build, uh, build the guest house. Section 8 right now gives you 3500 per one of those units, but you can probably get 4000 depending on the finishes that you use. So you can get 4000 4000 4000 That's 12000 a month. Gross from, rents from, from those three from the government basically from the state well, of California. No, if, if just normal rental, yeah, yeah, normal rental, you can get twelve thousand a month gross gross rent, and then a million dollar loan. You're probably looking at sixty five hundred bucks uh, payment, interest, tax, and insurance if you finance a whole million because the value would be worth one point five. You'd be around sixty five hundred dollars a month. So you subtract sixty five hundred, your all in cost, your carry all in carry from the 12,000 gross, you can net around, I don't know, 5,000 a month, 4,500 a month. And that is basically- While it's it, building equity in the property. Yeah, while it's stuff. building equity. So you can make four to 5,000 a month that way and just yeah. replicate that 10 times and you've got 50,000 a month. Or uh, you just do that one time and you get 5,000 a month and every year, you know, you raise the rents 3%, 4%, and that'll continue to grow. It'll compound. Yeah. yeah, it'll compound. And that's something, it's fairly simple to do. You do need money. You do need to have construction experience. You need, you can hire a contractor, but it's good to have that experience. Um, but that's one thing that I know right now you could do as a real estate investor. And a lot of people are doing it. It's not like it's a secret. A lot of people are no, doing it's it. It's something that in a, in a underdeveloped uh, residential market like Los Angeles is yeah. it's something that is pretty easy. If you build it, they're going to run it. Yeah. What if and you it's already stay own a house? Could you... you can, yeah, if you own a house, it's even easier because you already own the house and you just build a three bed. Now, here's the other thing you guys got to be careful with. City of LA, if you build two units on one property and if they're built before 1978, October 1st of 1978, which your main house generally is, then that property becomes subject to rent control. With rent control, there's rules about how much rent rent you can raise, evictions, and so forth. You just got to follow up on all of that. And uh, if the property is attached, then both units become rent control. If the properties are separated, only the old home becomes rent control. The new house does not become rent control. Interesting. So there's there's a lot of rules that you need. To, again, it all comes back to knowledge and information. You got to understand how rent control works. You got to understand how construction works, how financing works, and how to go to a lender and say, hey, I'm going to build these three units. I'm going to be in it. $1 million, it's going to be worth 1.5. Can you give me 70% of the total value of the property? And I'll put in a hundred grand of my own money to show you that I have vested interest in the deal and to finance it. Now, if you have zero experience, you're not going to get financing. No one's going to give you financing. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. If you have experience and you know a lot of lenders and the lenders know you and you got a track record, then you can easily get that. So you just got to, if you're starting out to answer your question, long-winded answer, if you're just starting out, you really need to learn real estate. Yeah, You should go work for a brokerage and yeah. be an assistant. I mean, I was like an assistant for a long, long, long time. Be an assistant so you can learn contracts, you can see the negotiating tactics, and you can mm -hmm. see how it works behind the scenes. 
when you see offers come in and you hear all the realtors talk about, oh, did you see this offer? We're not going to accept it because they put this or they asked for this. You can ask other agents in the office, hey, uh, why did you guys select that? Why did your seller select that offer? You get a lot of insider information as like how to write a better offer, how to get your offers accepted, how contracts work, how other investors are writing their offers. One thing I loved about commercial real estate and working for a commercial real estate office is I get to talk to 30, 40 different agents and see which investors are buying what properties, what areas are they buying, how are they writing their offers, why are their offers getting accepted? So you're getting a lot of like yeah. velocity, transactional volume, you know, just by being there and learning. And just knowledge is the key. You just got to really master your craft. You got to be in the room. Yeah. And whether, you know, nobody wants to be somebody's assistant, I think that, especially in today's world, but that's usually the fastest way to learn how successful people yeah. are staying uh, competitive and being successful in any arena is, is by being on the inside and I seeing would, how it works. Right now, there are, I mean, I, I consider myself in real estate pretty successful, but with that said, would I be a personal assistant and work for free for a few people in the in the industry yeah i would yeah two years three years i'll be a personal assistant i'll go get their coffee i'll do whatever it takes it seems like you've done that multiple times in yeah, your career I'll do it and, now. and and you probably when you started in the commercial game were had some of your own uh successful investments and didn't need to go take on commercial brokerage or go work for a firm right yeah i mean when i because most of the commercial real estate firms want guys with zero experience because they want to just train mold you and them. teach you mold you, you. That yeah and i went in i'm like look i'll start at the bottom i don't care just i, I want to get in and it wasn't about the money or that you needed a job it was about i need to learn this game yeah and this is the way that you learn yeah yeah and there's still like right now i will there's some guests that you're hopefully going to have on here that I've even thought I'm like, man, I would love to be that person's assistant for like, you know, a year or two years, three years, just to kind of like learn just about them, learn, pick their brain, pick their brain, learn their personalities. I don't think there's a point where you get to a certain age or certain wealth or certain status in life where you think, oh, I've made it. I'm good. I don't need it. Even when you get to that level, you can still learn a lot. Like. Yeah. Uh, there's value in friendships. There's value in opportunities with uh, with people. And again, uh, I would still, yeah. I, there's there's a number of people I would love to be a personal assistant for. I don't care if it's like pick up their dry cleaning, pick up their coffee. Wow. I would still do it. Listen to that, kids, because I, I we talk about it a lot actually about teaching our children and that you know this is the easiest way to success is to mentor under people yeah. and to. To, to pick people that you like the life path and the, the results they have and to, to go to go sweep the floors you or just hop, do whatever you have to you do. You just hop to get yeah. yourself to the next level. Like you go, I want to be a millionaire. I wanted to retire. Well, at age 25, I, I had goals. You know, like retire by, become a millionaire by 25, retire by 40 and so forth. And every time, like you can jump mentors. You know what I mean? You can jump assistance you go i want to be a millionaire i want to be this guy's mentor you you become that person's mentor you achieve your millionaire status or whatever is important to you and then you hop on to the next mentorship and just cons consistently grow like a you know just like you're climbing up a ladder and just add a lot of value to someone and they'll add value back to you you know what i mean it the more successful you get and the older you get a lot of like the successful mentors they need time Time yeah. is the most valuable thing. And I'm learning this now, like time is the most valuable asset you have yeah. when you get older. So if someone can 
to the leg offer work me time, yeah. my time back by doing the legwork. I'll offer them my experience to gain them three years of knowledge in a relatively short amount of time. So the value you can add to guys that are way above you and way ahead of you is time. Do yeah. something to give them their time back, and they'll give you that knowledge. And you know that's a great. That's going to be a great clip for Instagram right there. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. No. Hundred percent. We've had we've had quite a few actually, and I really respect that because it is definitely uh, we're in the do-it-yourself era with YouTube and these things. Yeah. But but it's a lot easier to learn from somebody else's experience yeah. in a short amount of time without making those mistakes. And it's, and it's, you got to humble yourself as well. It yeah. seems like you really respect the process and, uh, finding the beauty in the work itself is, is really what, you know, I find is what really moves me at the end of the day. Cause anytime I get to a, a, a shiny object or some type of goal or something that I wanted to get, it doesn't ever hit the same. It's the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. 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 One thing I've noticed also is as you get older, money becomes less valuable to you when yeah. you're an older person. Perfect example is a thousand dollars to me when I was 19 years old, going on a boys trip to Mexico was the most amount of money. And I had so much fun with a thousand bucks. Yeah. I can't when go anywhere 40, for $1,000. When you're 40, you're like private jet, five-star hotel, private service. You go bottle service. You do all this stuff, and it's not even as close. You as don't have me. as fun. You don't have as much fun as you did when it was like only $1,000, and it was your boys, and you were like riding yeah. in a car and like stopping at McDonald's, and like that's all we can afford, and like getting one bottle and drinking in the parking lot. You know, that was so much more valuable. So um, like my, if I could go back... When I, to when I was younger is make as much money when you're younger and spend it and have a great time and enjoy that because money is so much more valuable to you when you're younger. As you get older, money just doesn't bring the same amount of joy. It's friendships, it's everything else. So money becomes secondary at that point and it's just the relationships and uh, those become more valuable. So that's one one other lesson that I've learned in life that that's a great one because people you're younger, are aware that that your perception of time and finance and everything yeah, it, it, it arcs changes. And changes multiple times yeah. in your life. Yeah, and it's unbelievable how less money be, valuable money becomes to you as you get older, and time becomes more valuable. Yeah, but when you're younger, you got all the time in the world to make every mistake in the book. You let's, know, uh, let's take a pivot from yeah. that and go into. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your your personal hobbies or things that you enjoy uh, in life, and what, when you're off the clock, makes you <laughs> never be, off the clock. Bring joy. Yeah. yeah. So food and travel. Yeah. These are big uh, experiences, basically, mm -hmm. in life, because these are the things that you can always have with you at every you know every moment in life. You can get a nice shiny car, but it's sitting in a garage, you know. 15, 16 hours a day, and you're only driving it a few hours and sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. But yeah. when you travel, that experience stays with you. When you enjoy good food with good people and good company, you can remember that moment and, re and revisit and relive that moment uh, over and over and over again. So one of the things that I really, really enjoy is traveling to a lot of new destinations and just kind of experience life and experience people and their culture and see how a lot of people live you learn a lot also from just seeing how people live. For example, in Morocco, when you go to Morocco, all the homes look the same. And I and one of the guys that I that lived there, I asked, I said, "Hey, how come all your homes look the same? Like you just..." And they said, "We're we live in humility, where all our doors look the same, so that we don't display wealth and 
and we don't display luxury and we don't display things, but we have it internal. So once you come in our home and you you, you come inside our house, that's when we display our luxury and our, our things. So interesting. It's a cool outlook. Very yeah, very cool outlook. Um so I love traveling and then you have to just, be welcomed into it. You can't just yeah. see it from the outside. Yeah, it's not like it's LA you drive, you're like, Oh, that's a mansion, that's a mansion, that yeah. looks great, that looks great. All, everything looks the same. And, it's, it's kind of backwards. Yeah, it's we, backwards. We tend to outwardly show who we are yeah. and then inwardly actually like doesn't always meet the the writing on the wall, kind, yeah. of, kind of so to speak, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Um what's your what's your favorite uh like what what kind of foods do you enjoy? Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, the, the viewers that know me <laughs> know that that's a very difficult question to answer. So I uh, kind of break it down. Foods as far as what in L.A. Just throughout in the general, world, like in general, you travel like what does what, what uh, the culinary experience that you enjoy? Obviously, hi, hi, uh, uh, well done dining. But well, I think the one we've talked about most recently is how much you love the food experience in Japan. Yeah. The food. I personally like the the hole in the walls, the Anthony Bourdain yeah. style of yeah, like going so. and trying those experiences. But I got it. Yeah, if I were authentic, to rate, real, authentic, real, real, yeah, the food you get in it's someone's in Vietnam, house. Vietnam eating noodles with Obama, it, uh, you know what I mean, type of deal. Yeah, that's cool. Those I love are that those Obama. are great experiences. Uh, I don't particular. I don't really care for the Michelin experience yeah. because it's just like. It's a little too much. Somebody, it, I seen somebody post the other day. It was a girl, and she said, "You know, I'm all for you know dining at a Michelin uh, restaurant, but I'm really tired of eating foam." Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. like there's all these little goofy things that become yeah. a, a trend, and it's like, okay. I mean, like L.A., you, so many great taco shops. You know what I mean? Yeah. So many great places to eat. But to to what you were saying earlier, when we yeah, Japan has been one of my favorite favorite countries uh, to visit for cultural experience yeah. because the people there are just fantastic. Uh, anyone from Japan would like to sponsor me to go back to Japan. Uh, <laughs> I've been there five times. I love Japan. Great yeah. country. All the snacks. Great people. The snacks, the food. Japan's fantastic. You can just close your eyes and go anywhere and you'll have great food. Um, after Japan, I would probably say LA is LA, New York. They're great. Mm -hmm. Morocco is great. Uh, the UK, London has some fantastic Chinese and fantastic Indian food. You don't hear that a lot. Oh my gosh! Their Indian food there is pretty amazing. But yeah, they yeah. they do have yeah. a big big Indian population, and it is phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, and you know the Middle East has the the local local dishes, but yeah. definitely traveling gives you uh, a good. You can kind of tell about a culture and and just from eating when you're sitting around locals and you're eating in a local place and you can kind of look around and enjoy their food and you know taste the different spices and kind of see how people are it just it's great tells you a lot yeah yeah it's great uh what's uh what's on your 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 travel bucket list that you haven't where you haven't been so far brazil yeah yeah brazil is a place that my wife and i are gonna go uh for mardi gras awesome. no not mardi gras uh, uh, carnival. carnival carnival yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and that's that's been pretty wild. That's like Little Carnival. Yeah, Little right? Carnival. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to go to Brazil uh, for Carnival, and that's it. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Yeah, that's there's been a lot of everywhere else. Yeah, a lot of places. Yeah, a lot of places. Love to travel. Love enjoy traveling. Yeah, my my wife's brother. Uh, 
they were just in Japan recently, but they've been multiple times. He actually got, I think he went on his honeymoon too. I went for our honeymoon. We went uh, this year. I went twice. Yeah. I went for a month, came back for a week, missed it so much, went back again. Wow. <laughs> for another 10 I'm a days. big fan of the culture as well. Yeah. And I love the, uh, the fashion and obviously like denim and, and just how they've taken American culture and, and kept the value that yeah. we've lost in, you know, scaling our businesses, you know? Yeah. I love Japan. They have all of our denim shuttle looms and like all of their stuff is still yeah. handcrafted and well-made. So it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Have you been? You should no, go. No, we're going to go. I'm trying to force them to go so I can yeah, go again. Go to Tokyo, I, go with bro. You. I need an the excuse food is to go. Great. Yeah. yeah the Beautiful. Yeah. When, have, when was the last time you went? I've never been. Oh my God. Yeah, you guys just have a to fan go. of the culture. Yeah. I follow like Japanese fashion blogs just because I love their, their thing. Like I'm super into it. Yeah, Japan's a yeah. Wonderful. I came for the wagyu, and then he told me the price of eating out there, and I was like, Yeah, you don't want to eat. You don't want to eat better, meat. You're better off eating fish and things that are a little. No, you more can local. eat meat there too. Yeah, you can. Yeah, it's but something would, that you has to be brought in for you. You know. I mean, I had when you go to Japan, you prepare for three lunches, three dinners every single day because there's so, and snacks in between because the food is so damn good that you're just like. I got to eat a little bit here, save it for the next one. And you go to the next restaurant and you're like, man, the food is so good. And you just eat, 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 eat. Wow. But you walk, you know, eight miles a day, 10 miles a day. Yeah, because you're walking around looking yeah. at everything. Yeah, Japan's. I mean, they're, like Africa is fantastic too. But it's just totally different. You know what I mean? Uh, we, my wife and I were in Africa not too long ago. And we went on, on a couple of different safaris, one in South Africa and one in Tanzania. And the Serengeti. And... I mean, Africa is like life-changing. Stunning, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. We yeah. went there a couple of times. We've been to Africa a few small, times. Just seeing the scale. You just connected to nature. Yeah. You just connected to nature and you're like, I can't believe like these lions and the, all, all this animal and there's so much life around you. It yeah. just, it's a crazy, crazy experience. I highly recommend traveling when you're younger because you can travel. It's my biggest regret is that I had kids young and I yeah. didn't get to move around as much as I would have liked to. Yeah. Or I didn't focus on it because I could have done it and I just didn't. And now that I'm older and it's a little bit harder to, to do that. Because you probably have things, kids. Yeah, and I have kids and life, life and business yeah. and things. And it's and it's something that I wish I would have been like, bro, you should have went when you were 20 years old and, and went backpacking through Europe or yeah. went to all these places and, and experienced life, you know? See, when you're younger, you could get you could fly coach and go stay in a hostel a, and go see the whole world. Yeah. But when you're older and you're married and you have kids and your knees hurt and your yeah. back hurts, you got to fly a little bit different. business and you, you can't stay at this hotel because your wife gets scared and it's like dangerous and yeah. you know what I mean? So you're, you're excited by that stuff when you're young. Yeah. That's part of the thrill. Yeah. Too, you want you know? to like risk your life. You're like, oh my God, I almost got killed. <laughs> getting a taco, but the taco was fantastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're older, you can't risk that. It's like your wife and you're, you have to, you know, be there for her and like protect and just be a. <sighs> me and, uh, me and Brian's midwife, uh, Robin Poole, great lady, but she has a daughter. Her name's Lucy and her daughter's young and she wanted to go instead of going to college right away, she wanted to go travel the world. And so Lucy has been, we've been following through Robin's uh, Facebook account cause she'll mm -hmm. just post like her location and then like the message that Lucy sent her, but she's been all over the world, Africa, the Middle East, all of these places, a young, a young uh, white girl in foreign lands by herself, very young she and she'll just pop, she's by herself, bro. She's just popping up. Oh, I'm on a boat on my way to, that's amazing. And, and all over the place. And obviously her mom's like, like, uh, 
terrified and she yeah. can't talk to her for like weeks, weeks at a time. time. <laughs> but uh, I like am admirably living through her because it's like, wow, God bless her that she like literally took the, the opportunity to, to yeah. like just go experience life. You know, like it's very eye-opening. Yeah. My wife and I went to an orphan orphanage in Africa because, you know, we were we travel a lot and we try to go to the orphanages and kind of see how everybody lives. You know what I mean? And a lot of times we'll, we'll get toys for the kids or we'll buy food. And we went to an orphanage just thinking that, you know, what you see on TV with like, you know, how it is. And we walked into this place and we we're like, wow, it's not as bad as we thought, you know, it would be. I mean, obviously we, 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 we like to. When we travel, we just like to kind of like be really Im immersed in everything and, and try to help out as much as we can rather than just staying at a five-star hotel or whatever. Yeah. You know what you I mean? Want to you want to experience the culture everything. thrill. Yeah. So, and my tour guide was like, are you sure you guys want to go? We're like, yeah. Yeah. Like, take us there. We want to kind of just see how everyone is and get some rice, get some sugar, get some coloring books, some paper, notepads for the kids. And so we get to this orf orphanage and we're like, wow, it's not as bad as like social media makes it or like the news makes makes things. Just everywhere in the world the more you travel the more you kind of like your eyes open and you oh, see yeah. everything you see i mean i'm not saying it was fantastic it was great but it was not as bad as like you would people think. make it seem people like make it seem commercials yeah like you see on those commercials and i was like i'm i'm glad it's not as bad as those commercials you know i'm sure there are parts 100 yeah. anywhere in the world that is like really bad and really devastating but it was kind of pleasant it was a pleasant surprise to see how well a lot of these governments take care of their their less unfortunate less unfortunate and just again traveling man it really opens, it opens up your eyes to makes you humble makes you appreciate things and we have this view of the world from america yeah that we've never really experienced the world actually and we think that everything is this way yeah but when you you go somewhere and you actually sit down and and you you spend time with these people, you tend to have a different outlook on who they are and what and the they world. are. And the world. And the world in it's general. It's a great right? place. The world is a beautiful place. We're all very similar. Yeah, we're and all very, very similar. When you yeah. get outside of here, you know, because they yeah. like to tell us that, that we're different, but... No, we're all the same. Yeah. We all eat... We have the same values yeah. and, the same, and the same wants and needs. And, yeah, exactly. And we tend to have more in common than we give ourselves credit for, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Travel question. Yes. What's the appropriate amount of time to go on a trip for to a certain destination? Depends on the destination. Uh, so, and, well, and what level of traveler are you? Are you a pro level traveler where you know how to like get through and navigate through the whole city? Do you pre-plan before you go? Do you just go and try to figure it out? If you, you go and try and figure it out. You need a little bit more time. So um, I've gotten ours down to about three to four days per country. And when, wow. when my That's wife and I, fast. yeah, so when we travel, we are, uh, I usually pre-plan everything. I'll pick a few countries within an area that we want to go see in areas. Um, and we usually spend three to four days and we do, I mean, we don't do touristy stuff, but I've, we really just kind of see like areas that we want to spend time in. And if we like it, we'll go back to that same place again. So usually I, I spend about three to four days per country, depending on where we are or region in a country, if it's a big, big country. But um, and YouTube helps a lot, man. You're like, you want to go visit Morocco. You've never been. You go on YouTube. You see everything on YouTube. You're like, OK, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to eat here. I want to eat there. Yeah. Uh, you want to go to Dubai. I want to eat here. I want to eat there. I want to stay here. And so research. Yeah, you do a lot of research and then you can go on these uh, all these guys that are 
you know, travel hacks. So like flying to this airport, this airport's quicker, go through this uh, yeah. process, this process is faster, make sure you do this paperwork because this will speed things up for you when you get there. So you can kind of eliminate a lot of hassle in travel by just kind of planning your arrival departure times, your connections, and so forth. Like I won't fly throughout New York for any stops because I know it's gonna be like delays and cancellations in New York in the winter time, for yeah, example. Yeah, that bad over there? Well, in the winter time, there's always cancel like Chicago, New York, during winter, like patterns, November, December time. Yeah. yeah, there's always snowstorms and planes get um, delayed. So you might miss your legs. So you try to not have stops there. Just pre-planning, I guess. Look, yeah. you live in LA, so most of the time you can straight shot it to a different place. Yeah. But a lot of times you're like online, you're searching, you're like, oh, this is 200 bucks cheaper. Let me get this flight. And then you get stuck in the airport and you miss your leg and then you lose like two days of travel and you're like, oh, God, lost $200. I lost three days of my travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to Italy with my wife for uh, her cousin's wedding in October. Okay. Let me ask you this. Where in Italy? Um, so the wedding's in Ravello. It's in the Amalfi Coast. Okay. And... Uh, where would you suggest i think i'm gonna go for about 10 days do i try to do everything or do i just go to rome and then go to amalfi and and kind of and kind of stay in that little region there so that i can spend a little bit more time so 10 days is a good amount of time you could start you could fly into milan yeah mxp airport and then i'll have Mil time to go to like como and those yeah because it's 15 minute train ride to como yeah you just ride a, uh, go to como for f you can go but um find a nice restaurant in como take a train up there 15 20 minutes have lunch come back to milan milan is really good for shopping yeah. you don't need to spend too much time there it's kind of like industrial then from there just take a train down to florence and then from florence go to rome and then because you want to see florence too huh? yeah yeah it's, it's not all the good restaurants yeah. good, good a lot of things to see and then uh, you could just take a train down and go on YouTube and find like the perfect itinerary for Italy 10 days or, yeah. or just do seven day itinerary because, you know, three days you're going to need in the coast. Yeah. And how do you feel about because we have a we have a young child, too. So we'll how old is your child? Uh, she'll be just over a year at that point. So she flies on your lap for free. Yeah, which is good. But well, she'll be fine on the tax. trains and, and uh, stuff. Trains like are that. fine. They the are. Trains are great. Yeah. The trains in Europe are really good. Um, there's an, there, I'll, I'll share some apps that I use mm -hmm. for how to plan your domestics. Yeah. So trains, which trains to take, which ones go where, and you can just kind of pre-plan your whole trip and just have it all ready to go. Awesome. I yeah. appreciate that. So you do recommend trying to see what I can though while I'm there. Yeah. It's a good amount of time. Huh? Just go on YouTube and look for I've like what I've done a little do. research yeah. already, but yeah, I, I figured I'd, I'd throw it out there since we're on the subject. Yeah. <laughs> You sound like a professional. Uh, I mean, I just, yeah, I enjoyed travel. I mean, yeah. I apply the same method in real estate to everything that I like. Like, if yeah. I'm going to a restaurant, same amount of research I do yeah. for real estate, I do in restaurants. So and what's your favorite restaurant in LA? Okay. Favorite? Any. Sushi, Middle Eastern. Give us, the, give us the five. Let's do the, the five, the, the sushi, Mexican, Italian. Middle Eastern. The problem is I go to this restaurant a lot, and I don't know if I want to like ruin it for myself <laughs> and not be able to get reservations anymore <laughs> by like letting everyone know. But, um, so the, my favorite sushi restaurant is Monday nights. Um, so it's tonight. Oh yeah, it is tonight. Yeah. 6 PM. And I forgot the name of it. It's in West Hollywood. Um, that's kind of a hike for us Valley people. Okay. So sushi note, we'll do that. Sushi note in Sherman Oaks, uh, is a really nice restaurant sushi wise in the Valley. Um, 
Persian food, I would say Daria in West LA off of um, Doheny and Santa Monica. You know, these places better like hook me up next time I go because um, what, what else? Italian? Italian. The best Italian I would say is um, Ebaldi or Giorgio Baldi. Between Giorgio Baldi and Ebaldi, I know that's debatable, but they're if you like person. celebrities, they're brother, sister, or like relatives. Giorgio Baldi, if you like celebrities, go like on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday in Palisades, and you'll probably see some celebrities. I actually saw Elon Musk uh, there like 10 years ago. It was interesting. He's very tall. He's a big guy, huh? Very, very tall guy, yeah. yeah. Um, so Giorgio Baldi's good, Ebaldi's good. Um, what's the other one that was on Canaan that closed and it just opened up on La Cienega and Sunset? Italian, their sister company is Bianca in Culver City. I forgot the name. Um, yeah, I'll, sure. It'll come to me later. Uh, what other restaurants? Mexican. Mex oh man, we're in LA. Yeah. I mean, any like food truck in yeah. LA, <laughs> Mexican's gonna be great. Steakhouse? Steakhouse. You know, can't go wrong with Mastro's. Yeah. It's solid. It's a solid steakhouse. Can't go wrong with Mastro's in LA. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. it's it's a good steakhouse. I it's mean, a good steakhouse. It's not like, just it's a so steakhouse. You, you, know? you can't go wrong, man. It's no. pretty consistent. The food's no. always good. Ambiance is great. Appetizers are great. Yeah. Entrees are great. Um, you just can't go wrong. I'm hungry now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we wrap up, uh, any words of advice? Wow. Yeah, we got 61 minutes in now. Nice. But uh, any uh, any advice out there for young entrepreneurs or just young people in life um, or anybody of any age, anything you would want to leave them with? Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Um, I don't have any wisdom, but I will leave you with this. If you're young, travel the world, make money and spend your money because it's a lot more valuable to you when you're younger. And when you get older, figure out a way to save time because time is more valuable. So in your 20s and early 30s, make all your mistakes and learn as much as you can and travel as much and just enjoy life and be a good person. Uh, and then when you do make money, don't be an asshole. Be nice to people, be humble, um, and try to spend as much time as you can with your family, with your friends, and just have a good circle of people around you and just enjoy the experiences in life and the journey in life because it's beautiful that's really well said and, and it's uh the small things that people forget about you know yeah i really like the make money and, and don't be an asshole because yeah a lot it, of people make money and they become assholes it's yeah it's 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 tough to 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 keep your your peace and your yeah. ability sometimes so yeah that's a good that's a good one Very you got good. anything else for us brian i think we covered a lot of great yeah I, you had some really good points on all the real estate stuff and uh you know, we've had some hard money guys and different people in different ends of the business, but this was a, a really good education for myself included on, you know, the ideas and how many different lanes there are. And there's and, a lot of different lanes. Yeah, yeah, you can make money in so many different lanes in real estate. It's just it's, it's, if you want to learn it and do it, you'll make you'll be successful. Well, and I think your biggest tip is go be someone's assistant. Yeah, knowledge. It's, yeah. it's 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 We're knowledge big fans business. That, yeah. yeah, it's a knowledge business. It's not anything else. There's yeah. no skills or anything involved. Just be smarter. I love that you still uh, you still have people that you would mentor under. You know. Oh yeah. That's a that's huge to be a successful person to to 
I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that look to you and say they they wish they were in your position or could work and achieve that that place. So to hear somebody that's successful and has traveled the world and, and seen some things say that there's still people that you would go pour coffee for or pick up their dry cleaning, that's a yeah. That's a big lesson in life, yeah. you know, is yeah. that there's always something else to learn and somebody else to learn from. And there's always, I mean, like, even when it comes to humility, there's always someone smarter than you, yeah. more wealthy than you, stronger than you, even in like working out, like there's always someone more fit than you. 100%. So like, just don't be an asshole. That's, it. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's I, think, I guess my motto in life. One of the, nice to people. One of the benefits of LA, I think, is that LA gives you perspective of like, where we are all at in the place of life because yeah. it's easy to come from a small town somewhere else and be the big fish in the pond yeah and then to come out here to the sea and see that you there know. is levels and that no matter what you achieve there's going to be somebody that has more or has achieved more you yeah know? so it is a it is a, a learning curve and and that you know, you're not the the biggest fish in the pond. You're never gonna kind. be. Yeah. You're never gonna be. So just don't even play. That's that. not the point, though. Yeah. Either, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. not even the point. Just be happy. Well, thank you. We thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you for coming. It was nice uh, talking and sharing with you. Appreciate it. Thank Make you. Make sure you guys like, comment, subscribe. See you on the next one.